0: Friends, we have a great episode coming up today, but before we get there, I have a very quick request for you. So we're coming to the end of this season of Mission Forward, and we need to know if this show is resonating with you. As you probably imagine, we put a ton of our hearts and our minds and our energy into producing the show, and we want it to be the best it can. So if you can take two minutes and head over to missionforward.us, you'll see a link right at the top to take our survey. I would so appreciate it. Thanks so much, and here's the show. Hi there, and welcome to the Mission Forward podcast, where each week we bring you a thought provoking and perspective shifting conversation on the power of communication. I'm Carrie Fox, your host and CEO of Mission Partners, a social impact communications firm and certified B Corporation. This season, we are talking with an awesome mix of nonprofit and foundation leaders, along with some of my favorite communicators about what it takes to truly move a mission forward. As we get into today's show on civic engagement, I will start by saying that if your workplace offered PTO for the first time on election day in 2020, so you could head to the polls without worry, then you've got today's guest to thank. Stephen Levine is co-founder of Meteorite, a social impact firm that builds coalitions and campaigns to drive social transformation. Among those coalitions is the Civic Alliance, which together with its 1,200-plus member companies rallied to champion civic participation, leading to historic engagement in the 2020 elections. Those member companies, and I'm proud to say Mission Partners has been one of them since the beginning, helped register millions of new voters, supplied civic education programming to more than five million employees, and reached nearly every American consumer with helpful messages to navigate all the new voting options we saw across the country. Hundreds of companies created voter-friendly workplace policies like shortening shifts, providing paid time off, or closing entirely on election day so their employees wouldn't have to choose between their paycheck and casting a ballot. So clearly, Stephen knows a thing or two about rallying people to action. He's an expert in social impact and corporate communications, having previously launched Univision's social impact brand, and having served as the White House Associate Director of Communications under President George W. Bush, where he was responsible, listen to this, for executing every single presidential media event held on White House grounds. I am exhausted just thinking about that but so glad that folks like Stephen are in this line of work. Stephen, I am thrilled to have you on today's show. Thanks so much for
1: joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Carrie. It's really a privilege to, to chat with you today.
0: So we are going to dig in and look a little closer at the Civic Alliance and very specifically at the um, what the Coalition recently released, the Corporate Civic Playbook. But before we get there, let's do a check-in. Tell me a little bit more about this amazing journey that brought you to found Meteorite and to do the work that you're doing today.
1: Uh, sure. Thank you very much, Gary. I, um, you know, I've always really been fascinated by ways that we can really shape society at scale. I started my career in live television at the weekend edition of the Today Show, And I I really saw at that time the power that media had to shape uh, our culture and really to shape the way that we understand current events, uh, news of the day, uh, and really inform the decisions that all of us make and the actions that all of us take as a result of that shared um, experience of consuming news and And television and information. I I took that experience working in media and at the Today Show and ultimately had, as you mentioned, an opportunity to to start uh, shaping the the events that actually made news. And I served in the White House, as you mentioned, at the end of President Bush's second term, uh, where I was responsible for all of the media events that took place on the grounds of the White House. And that met from turkey pardonings to addresses to the nation. I think it was a real lesson in understanding the power of information and shaping the way that all of us really understand our society and our world. I I remember as one quick aside, in 2007, uh, President Bush had recently committed the largest amount of funding ever to combat any single disease in history, and that was his commitment to combat uh, HIV and AIDS across the globe through an initiative called PEPFAR. And uh, at the time, obviously, there were a lot of competing and urgent news headlines that um, rightfully were covered, but uh, there wasn't much information or attention really being paid to this major new investment for the country and for the world. I remember that we had an opportunity to think about ways that we could really uh, inspire more Americans to take pride in the fact that their country was leading the way when it came to combating world AIDS and HIV. So I proposed that we put up a a 28-foot-tall uh, red AIDS ribbon on the front of the White House for the very first time. And we did that after a lot of challenges, I'll say, and and of, and red flags, I'll say, from a lot of government agencies and uh, White House curators and, and others. At the end of the day, that symbol of America's commitment was a really powerful one. Uh, I later saw it when I, when I traveled around the continent of Africa and saw AIDS clinics, HIV clinics in Ghana and in other countries, Um, actually displayed this image of the White House with an AIDS ribbon on the front of it to really demonstrate this global commitment that we have to this pandemic. There's just a huge opportunity to think about how communications can have a really profound impact on the way that all of us understand and think about our world. That experience, uh, coupled with my experience in media, led me to Univision, where I created the social impact brand uh, with, with our team there and brought together different players from foundations to nonprofit organizations to the trust that Univision's audience had in that brand. And we were able to, to really inspire Latinos across this country to register to vote in historic numbers and to uh, secure quality health care for the first time. Uh, to become a citizen of the United States and also to invest in education and, and take advantage of the, the amazing opportunities that, that many of the Latino families in our country came to this country to pursue for their children. And so I think uh, those experiences really allowed me to team up with uh, a colleague who I had met while working at Univision named Stephen Massey to create what we have today at Meteorite, which is a social impact firm that really shapes and builds coalitions of key players across sectors for the good of society. And really we're thinking about how we can tackle major societal challenges, like the threats to our democracy that we see today, but also in health and safety and in our culture in ways that I think can have a really profound impact um, on on the way that all of us as Americans consume um, our information and and really think about our world.
0: So Stephen, that's an incredible overview and um... Suspecting that we're probably about the same age, the amount that you have done in a condensed amount of time is is pretty remarkable, right? That in a lot of fa- a lot of ways, it feels like you were you were meant for this, right? You were meant for meteorite. The kind of experiences and uh, insights that you've had along the way, telling that story about the White House with the AIDS ribbon on it, reminds me that you're not just building coalitions; you're really helping to shape and shift the narrative, right, toward social good. And it's the actions that we take as as corporate leaders, it's the actions we take as elected officials, it's the actions we take as as individual citizens and residents in our communities that shape the the broader narrative. And you're really doing that and, and informing the narrative in a good way. And, and also, I think, challenging some of the negative narratives along the way too. But I know, you know, here we are, April, 2022. The last few years have been anything but, uh, expected or normal or easy on anyone for a number of reasons, and so here you are building these incredible coalitions and changing and impacting society. But you're still running a business. You know, you still have to be thinking about how you're supporting your employees and how you're you're running your day to day operations. I'm curious, as we're we're going to get to the to the big picture coalition in a minute, but how these last few years have impacted you as an individual and a leader and a business owner.
1: It's a great question, uh, Carrie. I think you know uh, just thinking about the, the profound impact that COVID has had on all of our lives, um, it's, it's really been a game changer, I believe, for our work, the way we work, and really our entire team. COVID is a tragic pandemic that is impacting all of us. It has also really provided all of us with an opportunity to reexamine how we do business today. At Meteorite, I'll say we had to really completely rethink how we interact with all of our coalition partners, um, our clients, and it also really forced us to rethink our approach to our own structure at our company. For the first time, we were thinking about hiring uh, a team remotely and thinking about how to create a culture across different remote locations through our interactions virtually. It also really forced us to make foundational decisions about what we are and what we aren't, and the kind of company we want to be. Steven and I always say we want Meteorite to be a best place to work for our team. So we really had to think hard about how we could provide our team with the resources, support, uh, investments they needed in order to be successful in this new approach to work. It allowed us, I think, to create a really strong culture in a moment when I think a lot of companies were having to totally transform their approach to work. I think it gave us an opportunity to really start shaping our whole identity as an employer and really as a, as a firm that's standing for positive social impact in the world.
0: You know, you you said the perfect words for it, which is really challenging the, the norms, right? Thinking about how you set up a new set of norms for your company. And we, we certainly understand that on this show, we talk a lot about Challenging white dominant norms, especially in the workplace. Thinking about how urgency shows up. Thinking about how only one right way shows up, and how we as a small business can challenge those norms in the spirit of creating a workplace that works for everyone. And what I really appreciate is if we move from meteorite and how you started there. Right, you've always got to start first with the the foundation that then makes the coalition strong. Right, meteorite is behind every coalition that comes out of your shop is the Civic Alliance too is challenging norms, right? It's challenging the role that business can have on our society, on our democracy, on moving toward an inclusive society and democracy. And there, there were a lot, I know, of challenges along the way to get 1,200 plus member companies to sign up to be part of that effort. Talk a little more about why you all decided to launch that coalition and kind of bring us up to speed on where you are now.
1: Absolutely, Kerry. So we launched the Civic Alliance in January of 2020. We launched really because we saw that companies were being held to a new standard when it came to how their employees, how their consumers expected them to operate. And I think that trend has only grown and magnified over the past uh, two plus years. When we launched, we launched with 40 member companies and we asked companies to join the Civic Alliance. Uh, not by paying a fee or by taking by doing anything other than really making a commitment to support their employees and their consumers by educating them about when elections were happening, uh, making it easier for them to participate in those elections. So providing paid time off to your employees or encouraging uh, your consumers to think about their different options to vote by mail or early. And we launched at a time before we understood how critically important the business community would be to helping Americans navigate the 2020 elections amidst a global pandemic. And I think the experience of 2020, which obviously saw COVID-19, the global pandemic, uh, saw a major movement for racial equity, and also saw meaningful challenges to a lot of economic strains that many Americans experienced in that year. The collection of those major trends on our society positioned businesses in meaningful ways to be both an adult in the room at a time when our society couldn't be more polarized, as well as a trusted communicator to employees and to consumers. And we saw in 2020 and as a result of 2020 and 2021, I think the trust that Americans are placing in business leaders and specifically in their own employer continues to grow. Uh, The Edelman Trust Barometer is something that we study closely every year, and we're seeing, uh, continually, Americans put more and more trust in their own employer as a source of information and a source of, of trusted data and guidance about what's happening in their own communities and society. And I think understanding that trust is really critical to thinking about how companies should be really acting in 2022. And so the Civic Alliance grew from 40 member companies in January of 2020 to now over 1250 member companies. And each of those companies, as you said, is taking concrete actions to support their employees or their consumers or both in being civically engaged. And that means helping them understand how and when and where to vote. But it also means really being a support for all of us, for Americans to take strong stands and consequential moments for our democracy. So we've helped hundreds of companies take a strong stand when it came to um, speaking out against some of the voting restrictions that we've seen enacted in some states across the country. We've also helped companies step up in meaningful ways to answer the challenges that the pandemic presented to our democracy. In 2020, we were seeing a huge, huge gap in the number of poll workers that we needed in order to safely run our elections, uh, particularly in communities of color across the country. And so we saw an opportunity to have the business community encourage their employees and their consumers to volunteer to serve as poll workers in those elections. And we were thrilled that uh, as a result of that work and the work of organizations across the country, we saw over 700,000 Americans raise their hand to say, I'm happy to serve as a poll worker in my elections. You know, I want to just mention here that that need continues today. There continues to be real opportunities for companies to think about how we can support our own local uh, and state elections uh, in 2022 amidst our midterm elections this year. And the Civic Alliance is a free resource uh, available for any company willing to make a commitment to support their employees or their uh, their consumers in voting in nonpartisan ways. And we'd be happy to help your company or, or any company that you're connected to get the tools and resources they need in order to, to be a positive stand in our democracy right now.
0: The value and practicality of the tools that you all create are really exceptional. And we will make sure that we link to them in the show so it's easy for people to find them. Thank you. I want to ask a quick aside, perhaps, but maybe not. You know, if you talk about those 700,000 people who signed up to service poll workers who might otherwise not have. We are... In the great resignation, right? People are leaving in droves from their employers. Employers on the other side are trying to think about every which way they can keep and engage their employees. Is there any correlation you see between a company's civic engagement efforts and their ability to keep and retain their talent?
1: Yes. What we've seen in many uh, surveys and studies that have been done is that the vast majority of Americans are more likely to want to work for a company that engages in civic engagement, that promotes uh, civic participation, than one that does not. In fact, I think 78% of Americans say they are more likely to uh, apply for a job with a company that promotes democracy. And in this labor market, as you rightly said, Kerry, that is gold. I think we see those numbers actually increase when you look at younger generations. I think that's the average nationally. And I think you see meaningful increases among millennials and Gen Z Americans that really have an expectation that their employer is taking that stand. We see, I'll say civic engagement as really sort of a magic opportunity for companies. Civic engagement by promoting and encouraging your employees to participate Uh, by encouraging your employees to shape their own communities and to shape the future of their own elected officials and, and the policies that those officials enact and support, that promotion of civic engagement allows a company to both take a stand to say, I'm investing in my employees' ability to shape their community. I stand for my employees' opportunity to have a voice in democracy, while also not diving deeply into a host of controversial social issues. And so I think there's a real opportunity here to position and to think about an employer's investment in civic engagement as both an opportunity to empower your employees, while also, I think, safeguarding our most sacred national ritual, which is voting in our democracy.
0: So that's a pretty powerful proof point right there, right? If your organization is not presently engaged in civic dialogue, civic engagement in any which way, now certainly would be the time to do so, because we're coming into midterm elections and uh, the opportunity that your your organization can play. And I'm very specifically saying organization here rather than company. Because I do want folks who are listening who lead foundations, who lead nonprofits to realize that you, too, have large workforces. And if you are not engaging them in civic dialogue, you're missing an opportunity. There's a reason this is called the civic alliance, not the political alliance, right? You can certainly be engaged in civics and in the work of a strong democracy without taking a stand or a position on politics. And that's, that's not at all what you're asking companies or organizations to do, right?
1: A hundred percent. Uh, We firmly believe that a diversity of perspective is what makes so many of our organizations as dynamic and as successful as they are. We believe that by encouraging and inspiring nonpartisan civic engagement, but just the act of voting, the act of participating and encouraging that active engagement and participation in our democracy is really at the heart of what it means to be a citizen and to be American in this country, there are huge opportunities for companies to promote the ability to vote, to promote the opportunity that we have as as Americans to shape the future of our communities. And we believe that by companies elevating that right, we are at once empowering our workforce, uh, strengthening our communities. And I think, you know, by doing so in a nonpartisan way, you're actually demonstrating clear respect for that diversity of perspective across across your organization and across your team.
0: So tell me about the playbook. What do we need to know about this cool new tool?
1: Perfect. So the the Corporate Civic Playbook, uh, which I take your point, Carrie. right? Uh, This is not only for corporates, uh, but the Corporate Civic Playbook, I think, is really a first of its kind tool that lays out the benefits of participating as an organization, as an employer in democracy. For companies, it provides a business case for why investing in a civic engagement program at your organization is great for business. Not only does it really strengthen the engagement that you have with your own employees, it also really builds loyalty and and value among your consumers or your stakeholders. Finally, we actually also were able to, for the first time, detail that for publicly traded companies that have prioritized civic engagement, uh, they actually meaningfully beat the market uh, when it came to their financial returns. We saw a portfolio of Civic Alliance member companies that are publicly traded perform substantially higher from both the, the price book value of those stocks to actually generating higher margins of return. So we are really thrilled to see that not only is there a strong business case for civic engagement for companies, but there's also a, a really simple action plan. The Civic Playbook actually lays out four different tiers of actions that any company, really any organization can employ and meaningfully support their communities and their democracy. We also have a a ton of great case studies and examples of what companies uh, and other employers have done. So you can get even uh, more details and, and perspectives on how these different initiatives come to life. The best news is it's free. Uh, We are making it available for free on our website at playbook.civicalliance.com. So anybody can uh, take a look and develop your own civic engagement initiative.
0: That's awesome. We are coming close to the end here, but I would love to ask you about some early learnings that you're seeing coming out of the Texas primaries that may set the tone for how organizations should consider preparing for the elections. And maybe it ties back to some of those actions you outlined in the playbook. Um, But we'd love to hear what you're seeing and hearing.
1: Absolutely, Carrie. So uh, already in 2022, as you already mentioned, uh, this is a midterm election year. And as Natalie Tran, one of the co-founders of the Civic Alliance, said, we are feeling some presidential election energy in this 2022 midterm year. Earlier this year, actually last month in March, we saw uh, Texas really be the first state in the country to hold their state primary for the year. And uh, and in Texas, they held that primary, which was the first election they held, under new voting rules that were enacted by the state legislature uh, there. And we saw two major challenges uh, emerge. One was uh, we saw a huge rate of mail-in ballots that were rejected as a result of uh, the new rules that they implemented in some of the the most populous counties in Texas, about fifteen percent of ballots were rejected. By comparison, uh, less than one percent of ballots were re- rejected in the twenty twenty elections. Wow. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's that's pretty alarming. Uh, we're also, uh, to your point about equity, seeing even higher rates of rejection uh, amidst communities of color, uh, and so I think we're certainly concerned about the impact there. The other Piece is that we saw several polling places that actually were not able to open on election day. And we saw that really because of an understaffing that many elections administrators are seeing. And that is not just in Texas, that is across the country. Uh, We are seeing uh, elections administrators, unfortunately, uh, experience threats and really, we're seeing uh, a bit of, I'll say, a labor shortage among uh, elections officials here as well. That also stands for poll workers. And so I think there are huge opportunities, I want to say, Carrie, for companies, for organizations to think about what they can do meaningfully in 2022 to do two things. One, educate, educate your employees, your consumers, your stakeholders about how they can participate in elections this year. And note that in many states, the rules look different. You may have to vote differently than you voted in 2020. So there are great tools and resources that we make available in the playbook to help companies and organizations understand what the rules are, how they can actually participate in a trusted way in in these elections and and make sure their their votes are counted. The second thing is uh, really think about how you and your company, your organization, can encourage more of your employees to serve as poll workers in 2022. The need remains. And the Civic Alliance is proud to partner with Power the Polls, which is an initiative to help all Americans connect to poll working opportunities in their communities. And so you can check out powerthepolls.com. And we would also, if you're a company, we'd also love to help you get set up to support that initiative across your company as well for your employees. So I think we're, we're seeing, honestly, huge opportunities for companies, for organizations to play a meaningful role in education and in, in inspiring engagement in the 2022 midterm elections. This is a, a moment where we have an all hands on deck for democracy. So welcome to the table and uh, and we're ready to help.
0: In that uh, just last couple of minutes there, you outlined so many options for people to get involved that I would hope that Folks who are listening right now, I know that something has resonated with you in this conversation. I suspect many things have resonated with you in this conversation. As we all know, the time we are living in, time is flying by, right? We say time feels slippery these days. Suddenly it's April, then it's May, and then it's June. And before we know it, the midterm elections will be here. So if you are thinking about getting engaged, today is the day to start that process, Hop online, look at the playbook, think about the work that the Civic Alliance is doing and get involved. And one last thing, and I'm, Stephen, I'm gonna turn it back to you, which is if you are listening right now as an employee of an organization, and you're curious, what is my company doing about this? Bring that playbook to your manager, bring it to your director, bring it to your CEO and challenge them to get involved, right? Change happens at all levels. And so everyone listening today can help uh, to affect the change um, that we wish to see in the world.
1: A thousand percent, Gary. And and we're seeing the power of employees and, and the power that individuals have to, to shape not only their communities, but their companies and their employers. And so this is definitely a moment to seize that power. And I just want to mention that the midterm elections are happening now. Texas has already held their primary. We're seeing multiple states hold primaries uh, next month in May. So this is the moment to start getting engaged and prepared for these elections. They're happening across the country right now and will culminate in November. Get involved and get ready right now and check out the playbook at playbook.civicalliance.com.
0: Well, Stephen, thank you so much. That time went very fast and um, I am so appreciative of the time that you've given us but also all of the work that you and your colleagues are doing to build the alliance. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you very much, Gary.
0: Mission Forward is produced with the support of Sadie Lockhart and the Mission Partners team in association with True Story FM engineering by pete wright music this week is by foster and josh leek if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews i hope you will consider stopping right now and doing just that for our show every review and rating counts and as a final plug if you haven't yet taken the survey for how much you enjoy appreciate or what you are looking for in the future of this show please do so and you can find that survey over at missionforward.us if you're not able to do that, the best thing you can do to support Mission Forward is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thanks for your support. We'll see you next time. Finding truth in the narrative. There's been much talk in recent weeks about Russia's intent to control the narrative on Ukraine. Unsurprising, perhaps, given the country's tight grip on state media, but just the same, it's got me thinking about this concept we call the narrative, a term that gets too easily thrown around in PR and communications work. At best, controlling the narrative is a basic public relations skill designed to manage reputational risk. It's honest and good-natured, but at worst, it's a device used to modify or even dictate how we understand an issue the context that supports our understanding, and the stories we're fed. Controlling the narrative can be a device to mediate and manage public opinion. As you might imagine, there's a lot of power tied up in which narratives become mainstream. This is from the Washington Post. The vast majority of Russians consume their news through official media, especially television, which is downplaying the conflict's violence and casualties, At the same time, Russian TV is serving up an Orwellian diet of Moscow's efforts to restore peace in a brother nation and feeding the Russian persecution complex over Western aggression. The nature of Russia's relatively older and poorer population limits access to and interest in internet-based news. Because of worsening state censorship and blocking of foreign sites, Russians are unlikely to find vastly different web-based narratives anyway. So how can anyone find truth in the stories of this time with a smokescreen this thick? Stories, of course. As my middle school math teacher would say, the answer you need can be found right there in the question. I believe everyone has a story. I learned this first from an unlikely mentor early in my career who said to me, there's a great story in every person you meet. The more you listen, the more you'll learn. The power of story, of course, is its ability to contextualize the narrative. Stories give deeper meaning to the narrative about an unwieldy complex problem, such as homelessness or climate change or war. Here at home, I think the Theater Lab in Washington DC does this brand of storytelling best. Years ago, they launched a program called Life Stories that teaches young people and adults to create original dramatic works using their own life experiences empowering individuals to think creatively, communicate effectively, and envision new futures. As Deb Gottesman, Theater Labs co-founder, says, Life Stories provides people a chance to reflect on their past and their present, and then to change the future. Their process has been proven to increase self-esteem, reduce feelings of isolation, and improve communication and critical thinking skills, not by controlling the narrative, but by disrupting it. It seems we could use a little more of that life stories concept in today's media coverage, and maybe we'll soon we'll get just that. I was thrilled to see journalist David Green launch a new podcast series this week called Ukraine Stories, based on the simple but heartbreaking question, where were you when Russian troops invaded Ukraine? Instead of a headline, they promised to bring a new firsthand story every day. There's a great story in every person you meet. The more you listen, the more you'll learn. So today, listen to someone's story on the new Ukraine Stories podcast or in your community. Set aside the narrative and hear firsthand from a person about their experiences. I guarantee you'll feel more informed about the narrative and you'll learn something too.